0: Hello and welcome to Clock Spinning, the podcast of Magic's history as told card by card. I'm Austin and with me, as always, is my co-host, Connor. Connor, do you want to walk the listener through today's topic?
1: I would love to. Uh, So on today's episode, we're continuing our Kamigawa block review uh, and more specifically our Betrayers of Kamigawa set review. We're starting today with Blue. You can go back to our very first episode, episode one, if you want to start at the beginning of our block review with the white cards of champions of Kamigawa, or you can pick it up with episode 14 for our first Betrayers of Kamigawa episode, where we talk about uh, the white cards of Betrayers. Uh, The goal in all of this is to build a cube that really represents the best, most fun, kind of most iconic cards and themes of Kamigawa as a block, OG Kamigawa, We're building that cube over on cubecobra.com, where you can check it out and follow along as we add things and cut things and rate cards. Uh, As always, we'll be using our Impab rating system. Uh, If you want maybe too much detail on that, you can go back to episodes 1 or 14, where we get into that a little bit more. We'll also be talking about the card's place in places in competitive history a little bit, Commander uh, and Cube. Yeah, and uh, as you're following along here, you can find a list of all the cards we talked about today in the
0: Scryfall search linked in the show notes or below the video on YouTube. Uh, Speaking of YouTube, if you want to see pictures as we go, you can also just watch or listen to this episode on YouTube and we'll throw up an image of each card as we get to it. And you can also find links to all the episodes, the cube uh, on Cube Cobra, everything else on clockspinning.com. We'll have links for all that good stuff. But for now, Connor, I think it's time to get in and just start talking about Bok Blue. What do you think? Let's do it. All right, first up today, we have Kalojushi. This is a flip card, so uh, bear with us. Kalojushi, 1UU for a 2-2 human wizard. Whenever you cast a spirit or arcane spell, you may put a key counter on Kalojushi. At the beginning of the end step, if there are two or more key counters on Kalojushi, you may flip it. And it flips into Jiraku the Interloper, a legendary spirit, 3-4. Remove a key counter from Jiraku the Interloper, Counter target spell unless its controller pays two. <sighs> okay, so three mana, two, two, uh, that flips once you've got two or more spirit Arcane spells cast into a three, four that can counter spells unless their opponent pays two. Okay, I kind of like this card. I think this is actually a good argument for slotting back in perhaps some of the really mediocre arcane spells we've cast cut in earlier episodes. And I also like this card from a design standpoint, like beyond just our cube. To me, this is like a, it's a super 2005 magic design, if you know what I mean. Like it's got this kind of brand new design space on the top half, right? It's a flip card. Uh, that's pretty unique. It's playing with counters, which, you know, isn't unique, but it's it's still relatively novel at this stage in magic. And then it flips into this like spiky, taxi sort of also mentally taxing effect that just feels very evocative to me of this era in Magic, which is not really about feeling good or or feeling happy. It's about winning games and demonstrating your competitive edge. And so I I like this card. And I also think it's not amazing. It's actually pretty far from amazing. But if you can flip it, a 3-4 that messes with your opponent to this degree is is totally reasonable. Connor, what do you think about Kalojushi?
1: I find it a lot more interesting than the white flip Human to Spirit card that we talked about a couple of episodes ago, um, which has the same key counter mechanic on the human side, the unflipped version, but flips into uh, Spirit, which prevents damage. And there was a lot of preventing damage in white. So Jiraku, Kalojushi slash Jiraku is already much more interesting than that card to me. Except that Jiraku doesn't have flying for some reason, and the white card did. Uh, so I don't really get that. But I like this card a lot. I, I like kind of a soft counter like this on a stick. I like the idea of that card and that you can, you know, kind of choose how many key counters you want to get on this before you flip into Jiraku and how much countering you want to be doing. I don't really think that this is very good, even in the cube that we're trying to build that many very expensive threats that we have in Kanagawa and games tend to be slow which I think means that your opponent is probably going to have the mana to pay for this off counter, even if you do it multiple times, yeah, but that's got some tempo value, right like if you if you trigger that twice, then you know
0: you've taxed your opponent for a total of four mana, which you know it's not mind blowing, but that's a, that has a real tempo effect, I think that's like one turn off roughly,
1: yeah, it's something, but i'm I'm more thinking of you know you're on turn seven or eight, sort of past the point where tempo matters as much and you're just kind of trying to see who can play the bigger card yeah you're just top teching at that point yeah
0: Mm -hmm. Hmm. yeah i do wonder if this card reads better than it plays uh i found a contemporary star city games review where they're they're reviewing the whole set um for compet or for Uh, constructed play and rather astonishingly gave this like a four out of four stars which i still find a little um baffling and i don't know that uh that was borne out in actual competitive play at the time Uh, but i did like this excerpt that i think helps kind of capture just how much power creep has happened in the last uh 16 years since this was printed uh so they write uh three mana for a three four flyer um i note they think it has flying which it doesn't
1: it should have flag that's exactly (laughs) what i said it fooled star
0: city games Three mana for a three-four flyer and the chance to counter at least one spell, or making them pay for the Jiraku's casting cost at the time of your choosing—that's a steal. Um, now, admittedly, they are assuming here that it has flying, which it it does not. <laughs> right, that uh-huh. is a, a big difference. But if it did, I think it would be pretty decent.
1: Yeah, I'd feel I'd feel great about it. I'm I'm bothered that the that Kaizo the white human spirit flipper has flying and for some reason the blue one doesn't it's it's like they said oh there's already too much flying in blue let's just leave it off this one rather astonishingly that
0: review i read from was written by Zvi Maushovitz, so apparently <laughs> one of the best magic players of all time did not read the cards so we're not the only ones connor who don't read the cards correctly uh, that's that's really podcast. comforting yeah uh, so i have this at a playable 2x for our cube which I, I think might be high on both the number and the rating but i, I do think There is some argument, whatever the rating for playing multiples, because I think this card is kind of interesting in in multiples. Like if you get two of these down, like there's a there's a more than additive effect, right? It's like if you get two of these and they each get two or three key counters and flip at different times like that starts to be a real game,
1: I think. Yeah, but I mean, then are, are you flipping your second Jushi into Jiraku and just killing off the first one or you wait for the first one to die? You just wait for the first one to die because you can flip at any, you
0: don't have to flip. It's just at at end step, and I'll notice at either player's end step, I'd always read this kind of as at the end of your turn, but technically it can be at the end of your opponent's turn. Now, again, I don't think that really matters that much, but it, it's kind of interesting.
1: Yeah. Um. I mean, I'm not opposed to it. I have it as a meh because I, I feel like I, I like this card a lot, but I just, I don't really know how much impact it's going to end up having, but I'm okay with having two of them. Let's try a mad 2x and see if this has any effect in any playtest game. (laughs) Sure. Okay, next up we have Chisei, Heart of Oceans. Two UU for a 4-4 Legendary Spirit. This one has flying for real. (laughs) At the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice Chisei, Heart of Oceans, unless you remove a counter from a permanent U control. Uh, And I just got to say, before we get further, the the fact that Chisei has flying when there... I mean, there's just nothing here... About you just, flying, <laughs>
0: you just have to roll a dice in Kamigawa to decide whether spirits have flying. It, it would make as much sense as
1: relying on the art. You really do, and and I'll I'll come back to the art in a second after I say something about the card itself because um, there's a lot going on there. So Chise depends on having counters that you can remove from permanence you control. Obviously, if you have counters you can remove, a four four flyer for four mana uh, is great, and at the time this was printed was kind of insane. The thing is, there there are an okay number of cards in Kamigawa that have counters, but I don't think there's anywhere near enough to make this work. And very few of those cards provide counters in any kind of sustainable way or allow you to get more counters at all. There's you know there's no proliferating. There's no uh, cards that manipulate time counters or anything like that. Uh, you just kind of get what you get. So there's just not there. There aren't that many things to keep Chisei around for very long.
0: Yeah, I, I wrote in my notes that Chise is writing checks that Kamigawa can't cash. I like that. And I, I think you're right that like we're you're just stuck on the lack of counter generation. So there are, by my count, about 32 cards in the block um, that do something with counters. And I'll put this, this link in the show notes. That's not a whole lot to start with. Almost none of them, very few of them repeatedly generate counters. And all of the counters in this block are beneficial. You know, so one of the more interesting things is I think we'll get into in a minute, you can do with Chisei is remove counters from permanence where removing a counter is beneficial. So something like a saga, to take the most simple example, you can remove a counter at the beginning of your upkeep and just keep iterating through, say, chapter three of a saga, which is really cool. Uh, Unfortunately, in this set, Removing a counter is always bad for you. It's taking away a plus one, plus one counter. It's removing a divinity counter from a Myogen, which I don't think is anything you'd ever want to do, or from a that which is taken thing. It's removing counters from Jite or Tendo Icebridge. Like, it's just always bad. And I don't know, like, A, if you can ever turn that on with any degree of reliability, and B, if you can, that's actually a pretty steep cost. Like, if you're removing a plus one, plus one counter every turn, for example, and somehow you can keep doing that, that's like that's like removing you know, a lot of damage potential over the course of the game. And I think in a lot of cases, I'd rather have like just a, a four or five mana flyer that's worse, but doesn't have this downside that's
1: really hard to work with. Yeah, absolutely. I think what really puts the nail in the coffin for Chise for me is that you you basically need to already have something in play with a counter on it when you play Chise, because the removing a counter trigger happens at the beginning of your upkeep. So if you play Chisei on turn four and you don't have anything that already has a counter on it, then Chisei just dies at the beginning of your next turn. I guess you have a blocker, a, a, a 4 <laughs> That's 4 a bar. blocker. <laughs> With, yeah, so it's just like you have to work so hard to get any kind of value out of Chisei, and there's just not, yeah, I mean, you put it perfectly. It's it's writing checks that this block can't cash. There's just, there's no no support for it, really. Yeah, by my count, there are about 22,
0: uh, or not about, there are 22 four or five mana flyers in the block, and many of them are terrible. But honestly, I would take like, say, Moth Rider Samurai, just a four mana 2-2 flyer with Bushido, or um, Shinen of Flight's Wings, which is just a uh, five mana 3-3 flyer with a minor channel ability. Like, I I would kind of take the reliability of those much more... Like they're lower ceiling cards, but they also are higher floor. And I think, I think the floor is just too low on Chise. Agreed.
1: So speaking of the floor, uh, Chise in the art. It's is the best segue we've ever kneeling. had. Sorry, <laughs> Chise is definitely kneeling on the ground. This is a Matt Kavada piece. And he was, I think, really channeling some serious Salvador Dali energy with this one. Like there's floating blobs of stuff everywhere. It's really hard to describe what's happening. Just look it up in this art. You really have to look at it. There's like a, it's all floating fluids, strange appendages. There's some polka dots. There's an old man's face floating in some water. Yeah, impossible to describe. You really have to look at this one, but very strange, very Kamigawa art. It's honestly hard to say, even if Chisei is the old,
0: like just the blue thing blobs or also the old man. It doesn't really look like uh, a creature. Like, it, this looks much more to me like an enchantment or an instant or sorcery. Like, even by Kamigawa standards, I feel like this is kind of a stretch as a creature. I wonder if this art was intended for this card, or if it was like, you know, they remade the card towards the end of development or something.
1: Could be. Yeah, it really
0: does. It looks like an enchantment. Are you seeing this really interesting kind of square artifact in the right I don't mean artifact in the magic sense. I mean, like, image artifact. Like, there's a square kind of pop-out part to the art that, like, breaks the fourth wall. Are you seeing this in, the, in oh, the right side? I didn't notice that the first time. What is that? Yeah, is that actually present? I think so. I don't think that's just a weird image artifact. Oh,
1: what? Yeah. We just saw into the matrix here. What is going on with that? Okay, now now, dear listeners, you really have to look at this card. Yeah. I, uh, I just checked on eBay, like actual physical copies. That is, that is the art. Yeah. I think
0: this might, this might be a dark horse candidate for weirdest art in all of Kamigawa, which is a really competitive category, but this art, even like with that fourth wall breaking detail is truly trippy. Wow.
1: Huh.
0: Um, I don't, yeah, I think this is a cool card. I think this is a cool card for not our cube. Like I think in uh, EDH, for example, this this thing commands something pitiful, like 220 decks or something, which makes me sad because, while you can't do anything amazing with it. I think it can do some kind of fun, quirky things with like with Sagas in particular, but also like cards like Chronozoa, cards like <clears throat> Clock Spinning. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think this, it's a fun, interesting card. And I, I think uh, Mystic Remora, uh, I, I think this card deserves a little bit more love than it gets. Not a lot, but a little bit.
1: A little bit. I, I really love the idea of a, a Chisei commander deck. Um, And then I looked for blue sagas that would work with Chisei. And it's kind of the same problem that you have <laughs> with Chisei. This block is there just are not enough there, blue sagas like, to make it work. There's like six. <laughs> yeah, it just, it doesn't add up. So where do you land on Chise? Uh I have it as an insta-cut. I, I really like this card.
0: I think it's a super unique fact. I feel like at some point in the history of Magic, this card might get broken, or maybe not broken, but might start doing some really cool stuff. But in our cube, I just unfortunately don't think it can... I just don't think it's capable of really doing anything. So I have it as an insta-cut.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I had it. I had Chisei as a build around, I think out of hope, but this whole conversation has just been talking about how there's nothing to build Around this card, so I think you're right that it's a cut. I'm sorry, this conversation has drained you of hope, Connor. <sighs> All right,
0: next up we have Disrupting Shoal. Disrupting Shoal is XUU for an instant arcane. You may exile a blue card with mana value X from your hand rather than pay the spell's mana cost. Counter target spell if its mana value is X ah, this card is so close to being like basically force of will. Like this card could have been amazing, maybe too amazing if it said X or less. Uh, Like I think if this card said X or less, like it would have a a rich and varied legacy. I think we would have seen it in vintage. I think we would have seen it in legacy and modern, possibly in its own standard environment. Maybe they would have jammed it in historic. Like I think this card would show up all over the place if it was X or less. If it was basically syncopate for one more mana, but with the upside of being able to force a will for the x without that this card more broadly and in our cube just does not get there um the the conditionality of having to hit exactly x is just it's too conditional it's it's ridiculously conditional like the fact that the card has to be blue and it has to be x means this is so often going to struggle to connect you know a lot of the value of a counterspell is that ability to make a choice you know like you think of those kind of interesting moments when you watch magic streams on YouTube where someone's deciding whether to force a will for example in vintage cube like that all kind of goes out the window here cuz if you ever hit the lottery and you're able to hit the X you pretty much have to use it cuz your chance may not come again so unfortunately i think this card really hasn't done much in its time in magic and i, I see it as an insta cut in our cube too it, it it's disappoints me cuz it's a really cool
1: card or it could have been but it's not yeah sadly I think you're spot on. I mean, the fact that you need to match X exactly here is uh, just kind of makes it irredeemable. Even just comparing it to the, this is part of a, a cycle, a five color cycle in Betrayers, uh, the white Shoal, Shining Shoal, which basically redirects X damage. Unlike Shining Shoal, this is just an all or nothing card. Shining Shoal, you know, if there's if there's more do- damage coming at you, then, then you can redirect and it's still doing something. If there's less damage, that's fine too. But you need to be exactly, you need to have exactly the right card to exile from your hand with disrupting Shoal to make this uh, anything. That is, That is such a good point because the other Shoals, so I'll just quickly rattle off the effects.
0: Shining Shoal redirects X damage, black, minus X, minus X, red plus X plus zero to target creature and green gain X life. Now, many of those cards are not very good, but you're right that they all can kind of scale and they don't depend that strongly on the value of X. Whereas this thing, I mean, you really, you might as well just erase the you may exile a blue card thing, right? And just yeah. read it as a counter, like a really bad syncopate. And I just think that's that's too bad, <laughs> even in our cube.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's rough. This is an cup for me. Yeah, me too, which is a bummer because I think the art here is really cool. It It's super cool. I, I mean, it's it's got fish, but you want to describe what else is going on there?
0: Yeah. So it's got the ubiquitous uh, Kamigawa blue arcane spell uh, fish. Like I think almost every <laughs> blue arcane card in Kamigawa has fish. Um, and then in the center of it, there's this sort of orange, I guess you'd call her like a tribal dancer a little bit. I think there's almost certainly a force of will callback here with the strong orange and blue color scheme. Um, and she's, yeah, kind of lifting her head and doing some kind of magical dance maybe. And then, uh, there's these fish encircling her and it's a little bit ambiguous. Is she the spellcaster? Is she the victim of the disrupting shoal? I I can't quite tell, but it's, it's very evocative. It's very colorful. It's got these kind of strong bands of color in the background that are kind of an abstract, uh, almost like a a wall mosaic or something. There's, there's a lot going on here, but it's not, the overall effect isn't overwhelming. It's just a really striking, really uniquely magic piece of art.
1: I, I like it a lot. Uh, for some reason just on the art alone this shoal looks to me like a card that sh- should have or would have been reprinted 20 times uh <laughs> which it has not been but it just it For some reason, for me, it just looks like something that would have been reprinted a lot. I don't know why. I totally know. Like, this whole card has this sort of near-miss feeling. Like, I look at it, and I think it was ubiquitous. Like, it feels like a card that would have been, but it it, it wasn't and isn't. Right? It feels like something that, like, you would have seen or heard about a lot, but uh, no. (laughs) All right. That's that's a sad Instacut right there. It is. Okay. Now that we're shedding some tears over Disrupting Shoal, we can go right to Floodbringer. Who's really bringing some rain. Bloodbringer <laughs> is a 1U for a 1-2 Moonfolk Wizard with flying, and you can pay two colorless mana to return a land you control to its owner's hand and tap target land. So the, the art to power delta on this card is just melting my mind. <laughs> uh, you're, you're paying two, and the ability here is pay two and bounce a land to tap a single land on a Stormcrow. I feel like power level-wise, that just sort of speaks for itself.
0: Yeah, I would love if rather than a Stormcrow, this was whatever we call 2-1 Flyers for two. I don't know if there's a name for those, but like if this was a, what is it? Pegasus, that that Pegasus, That uh, it doesn't matter. Anyway, if this was a 2-1 Flyer, I think <laughs> I we'd be it. in business because then it would be, the second ability here is not the worst. Like It's kind of like a Rashadden port that bounces the land, right? Rashadden port, one tap, tap target land. You know, that essentially costs two mana. This essentially costs two mana. Like, that's not a terrible ability. The problem is, like, 1-2 is just just not... It's a body that never does anything. Like, it barely blocks. It doesn't make a difference in terms of damage. It doesn't help you close out a game. You know, it seems like it can. You think, oh, I can chip in with this, but you can't uh, through many playtest games like every time you get a one two flyer into game into play it, it never does anything i think in any format so I, yeah i am with you that the um the power just isn't quite here which is frustrating because it's a it's an interesting and unique effect and i feel like with some tuning it could have
1: been could have been a pretty cool little card yeah i i feel like that's true of many of the soratomi. <laughs> i will say though the the art here for me just knocks it out of the park this is by itoku who has a lot of great pieces in this block. Um, so it's a sorotami, of course, and moon folk. Uh, and the sorotami in the foreground of this piece is beautiful but aloof. And she's sort of placed on this very striking magenta rainstorm uh, with these other sorotami, like f- kind of far faded in the background, doing the same thing that she is, uh, which is holding some sort of stick and uh, presumably summoning rain. So for me, the art-wise, this is one of those cards that I sort of can't stop looking at. But power-wise, it's one I would never need. I
0: like the art here. I don't think I love it like you do. It's it's almost too aloof for disembodied. Like in the sense that I, I don't get much of a sense of physical action from this art. It's very, very still. I don't really love that. But it's certainly unique. Like I love the unique color scheme, as you're saying. Like the all magenta. It's almost all magenta. And I like that. I like any magic card that's almost monocolored.
1: I feel like the the aloofness works for me because it's a uh card. Like I mean I don't I don't know much about the lore there, but it, it feels like you know the Soratami are, are literally above the rest of the world. They're flying all the time. Um and they're sort of they've separated themselves from the concerns of the rest of the mortal world in Kamigawa. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like aloofness suits them. Yeah, I could see that. And actually,
0: um, I don't think you're the only one who's struck by the uh, the art on this card. I ran across an ancient thread on uh, the Pojo forums. That's a blast from the past. Uh, from 2005, where uh, somebody seems to have been struck enough by this card that they made like an animated version of the art and distributed it as an executable file called floodbringer.exe. Um <laughs> Unfortunately, wow. Bitrot seems to have destroyed that link, and I don't know if I would run it anyway, uh, just out of fears of malware or whatever. Um, I, I
1: mean, I, <laughs> to be honest, Floodbringer
0: sounds like a virus, <laughs> it, sure does, it? it? Sounds like a worm. Um, <laughs> but if uh, if anyone wants to link, check out this thread. I'm going to link it in the show notes, and I don't know. Poke around on archive.org and get Floodbringer.exe to run. Uh, that would be awesome. You should put it on YouTube.
1: Be be careful with that one.
0: I'm also realizing we should uh, be reading the. This is our first card with flavor text. Do you want to
1: read? the flavor text out so we can we can comment on it sure um flavor text says such a small thing a drop of water and yet enough of them together can flood a field cleanse a mire or choke a forest it's it's kind of the uh flavor text justifying the effect again i kind of like it in this case i yeah I, to me, what it works
0: if you're gonna go all in like that i almost wish they'd name checked mountains in here like we've got field mire and forest but we're oh, missing I'm fine missing the island, but I feel like we should get a mountain. I don't know how uh, how water would disable a mountain, but trigger an avalanche maybe? I don't know. It might as well have shoehorned all four in there. Yeah. It just erodes it a little bit. There yeah, you go. There you go. It's a little shorter. Yeah. So what's your rating on this? I have it at a meh 1x. I actually think this is not completely indefensible. I don't think it's a great card, but I think there's room
1: to sneak one of them into the cube. Um, uh, I mean, I'm not super opposed to that. I'd like... I'd like to see this this art pop up again. I have her as an insta cut just because I feel like, uh, like I don't know wh- where the situation is when I would want this card. Yeah, uh, fair. Or like want to play this <laughs> card, <laughs> um, but I'm okay with having one for now. All right, let's let's go Meh one X before. And
0: as a closing note, this is one of those cards uh, we run across occasionally in Kamigawa where it's completely unplayable and yet the foil version is like 750 on this common and i think it's just cuz of what you're saying the art is so cool and unique that people are collecting them just cuz they're cool it doesn't matter that it it's basically stone unplayable
1: i am thinking about getting one now do it before once this podcast drops connor yeah i guess well, this is some insider trading stuff here
0: <laughs> that's right
1: we got to we got to move on before we get in
0: trouble all right, let's talk about Genju of the Falls. Uh, I feel like if the Shoal is Shoals Recycle that often disappoints, I think the Genju cycle overperforms, just to tip my hand a bit. Genju of the Falls is a single blue mana for an Enchantment Aura, Enchant Island. Two, Enchanted Island becomes a 3-2 blue spirit creature with flying until end of turn. It's still land. When Enchanted Island is put into a graveyard, you may return Genju of the Falls from your graveyard to your hand. Okay, so blue, Enchanted Island, two mana, turn it into a 3-2 flyer, and when the island dies, the Genju survives. I love this cycle. Uh, we talked about the white one uh, last episode. We're talking about the blue one now. We have a few more to go. I think they're all really good. They're all basically cheap threats. You know, I, I think if you squint at this, like really squint at this, this is kind of Delver of Secrets, right? It's a it's a one mana three two flyer in blue. It's it's Delver shaped for sure. Yeah, it's it's Del- yeah it's Delver shaped. I like that. And I think in Kamigawa, that's totally defensible. Uh, I think the body here is very real. It can block and trade off with many, many of the flyers. It can get in for that final point of damage. Uh, it basically is unkillable uh, since, as long as you've got islands to keep enchanting, this can keep coming back over and over. It dodges sorcery speed removal. Like I think this is actually a, a pretty decent little card.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree. And I I have to admit it. I think I was wrong about Genju with the Fields. I was pretty down on that card as like a, a trap card or something that looks better than it is. I think I was probably wrong on that. And I will say, I think Genji of the Falls is pretty dang good by Kamigawa standards. Um, I think especially in the sort of stalematey Kamigawa games that you get in a cube like this, having this kind of consistent flyer that, as you mentioned, is not vulnerable to damage during your opponent's turn uh, seems really solid. And just for comparison, Uh, If you look at other three power flyers in this block, they're usually going to run you more like five mana. So to be able to get that on a one mana aura like this that just costs another two mana to activate seems very reasonable.
0: Yeah, uh, people were pretty high on this when it came out as well. Um, I was sort of astonished to find, for example, that Star City Games did a top 20 cards to trade for article on betrayers of kamigawa and all of the genju except one made the top 20 list so like fully what is that uh 20 of their list was genju cards and the final final one was in uh, the runner up slot for the list so wow. uh when uh, ben blight uh blight weiss i've never had to say ben blight weiss blight the star city games guy when Ben of star city games <laughs> put together this list in 2005 he was pretty high on this thing and I don't know if this actually saw play in any of these formats, but I was able to find even an Oscar Tan article, uh, preview article, where he talked about whether this was playable in Vintage Fish uh, at the time. Which I I really hope at some point someone casts Genju of the Falls in Vintage. That would be amazing. So, uh, what do you, what do you cast this at? Rating wise. Uh, this is a playable 1X for me. Um, I, I, I think these cards could go in at higher density. I don't think they really need to. Like, they're not a centerpiece effect in the set. There's not, it's not like you think Kamigawa and think of the Genju. Um, They're just like a quirky cycle that I think belongs in the cube. And I think one is, is fine. Yeah, I think that works. 1X playable. Yeah, 1X playable sounds good to me. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, before we move off this, uh, there's two little comments I want to make. One is I'm not really a fan of the art. I think most of the other Genji got much better art. This one to me is just sort of generic blue monster. There's not a lot. I don't know. I don't find a lot to grab onto in this. It doesn't really look like it's coming particularly closely related to the land. Like I, I see the waterfall in the background. I see the floating Manamo Islands, but just, I don't know. Something about this art is just sort of confused and, and kind of boring.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's no real sense of, of scale. Like, I guess there's Minamo there, but like, does it, does that mean the Genju is like thousands of feet yeah. long? <laughs> what like, sense of scale there yeah, is, is very confusing. Two. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it just nothing really, nothing really pulling me in about this art.
0: Yep. Um, I want to close on this one with, uh, I don't know if this is going to make sense to anyone except me and possibly you Connor, but this uh, wonderful gatherer comment from 2006, that is like the most 2006 sentence. I threw the Genjus along with the Eidolons from Ravnica in my Sunburst deck to add some more power to great effect. Wow! That wasn't actually written by me, but it very much could have been. Those were all cycles I was inexplicably excited about.
1: Wow. That might've been you writing it under a screen name you don't remember. It seems seems possible. That's awesome. Label 1X. Okay, so that was awesome. Uh, The next card here is pretty awesome too. (laughs) Uh, This is Heed the Mists. Three UU for a sorcery arcane, mill a card, then draw cards equal to the milled card's mana value. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it is so hard to think of any card that would feel worse to play on turn five or any turn for five mana.
0: Wait, Connor, read, read the flavor text. It actually
1: enhances the Oh, the, the flavor text. Okay. All right. Flavor text. Once I looked to the mists for wisdom. Now I wish only for understanding.
0: <laughs> I bet he does.
1: I bet. Well, I, I I wish I could understand how, how this card could possibly get printed. There's, there's no, I mean, this is basically five mana mill a card off of your library at sorcery speed. It's astonishing. Like, I can't believe this card doesn't come with
0: some kind of insurance against the land case. Like it is eminently possible. You cast this for five mill a land and that's the entire effect. And like, I just, that is it. it. It's astonishing. Like. For example, erratic explosion two or three years before this is to reveal non-land cards until you reveal a non-land card and then deal damage equal to the mana value. And I like how this doesn't at least say until you reveal a non-land card is is frankly just mystifying to me. Like, I do not, I genuinely don't understand why this doesn't, how do you
1: look for a non-land? The the technology was there. They had figured out, you know, this little mechanical wrinkle that they could use, but, but no, it's just any card. If it's a land, you're just, uh, up a creek. And even if it's not a land, like it's what's what's the best case scenario here? You're it's it's a huge gamble when you play it in a block like this with essentially no scry. But like maybe this could be tolerable if it was like two mana cheaper in an era with scry or some way to like manipulate the top cards of your deck. Even then, I don't know. Yeah, it's obviously asking you to kind of plan around it, right?
0: Or like build your deck in such a way that this is good. Either you've got a lot of deck manipulation or you got some really expensive cards. And there is like, you know, it's fun to think about the kind of crazy cases of, oh, I don't know, I've I've put this in with like emrakul and it, it draws me, you know, 10, 12, 16 cards because my deck is stuffed with Eldrazi. But, you know, in the average magic deck, this is drawing you like maybe 2.2 cards on average or something. Like I just think it needs It needs something it needs like, or, or, you know, if they really want to force you to invest in manipulating the top of your deck, like if it's a zero, then just give you one card, right? Like at least least guarantee it
1: replaces itself. That doesn't seem like a big ask to me. Right. Right. And uh, I mean, especially like in, in an era without an Emrakul, like, I mean, what, what deck are you building in Kamigawa around this card? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Huh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think our rating on this is probably the the easiest we've ever had. It's definitely one of our easiest ever insta cuts.
0: Um, one of the things yeah. I will say I enjoy about doing this show is that, um, you know, I would have thought that in the 16 years of following magic since Kamigawa com- came out and being a fan of Kamigawa that whole time that I would have seen all the bad Kamigawa uncommons. But every couple episodes, we discover just a doozy that somehow it's so bad that it's flown under
1: my radar for fifteen years. We do; it's it's delightful. Like I I feel like one of us must have seen this card at some point, but it just like even then in in two thousand five, it just must have immediately fallen out of our brains. Yeah, as something we're not going to heed. Uh, we we almost need a name for it. There's kind of this class of
0: uh, cards you used to get back then that I, I say I would say are like kind of deck building challenges that don't pay you off for, for playing the game, playing that deck building game. Yes. You know what I mean? Like yes. there's a whole set of these kind yes. of cards threaded through this era of magic.
1: Maybe that's a, a separate sub rating that we add. <laughs> what, what would it be called? I don't, I don't know. Pointless it's, it's sub really games. Important. Yeah. It's really important that we add a sub rating to these cards that we're immediately cutting from the cube. Hmm. Okay. All right. We'll, uh uh We'll, we'll file that one away. Yeah. I'll, I'll turn to the mists for wisdom on that. <laughs> All right. Uh,
0: Instacut. Well, actually, one more. Like, what is the delineation of the... This This card is so phoned in. Oh, the art's also pretty phoned in, by the way, if anyone wants to look it up. But the, the flavor text of, once I look to the mist for wisdom, now I wish only for understanding. Like, what is the delineation between wisdom and understanding here? <laughs> that's, a, that's a great point. Wait, uh, uh, okay. Oh, that
1: was tricky, commie. Instacut? Instacut.
0: Okay. <laughs> That was an easy one. All right. Let's talk about Higure, the Still Wind. 3 UU for a 3-4 legendary creature, human ninja. Ninjutsu, 2 UU. This is our first ninjutsu card of the block, so we'll go ahead and read that out. Ninjutsu, 2 UU. Return an unblocked attacker you control to your hand. Put this card onto the battlefield from your hand, tapped and attacking. And then, whatever Higure deals combat damage to a player, you may search your library for a ninja card, reveal it, and put it into your hand, then shuffle. And for two, target ninja can't be blocked this turn. Whew, okay, quickly recapping that, five mana, three, four, ninjutsu for four. When he deals combat damage to a player, Tutor a ninja, and then two mana to make any ninja unblockable this turn. All right, we went from the lowest of lows with Heed the Mist to a pretty darn high uh, with Higure. I think this is, it's fair to say this is our first bona fide banger of this uh, particular episode. Uh, for me, Higure hits on all counts. Uh, he's got a cool name, Higure the Still Wind. I mean, come on. He's got evocative art. It's super ninja-y. It's got actually splashy, but also useful abilities. The stat line here is not totally embarrassing. He enables himself because he can make himself unblockable. So you can keep getting more and more ninjas out of your set, your deck. Like, is just the full
1: package. I love this card. Sorry, I was looking at foil flood bringers. (laughs) Yeah, completely, completely (laughs) agree. I I feel like this is the moment we've all been waiting for uh, in this blue set review. Ninjas and but like we basically start with what amounts to uh Betrayers of Kami was ninja lord. You know, Higure tutors up other ninjas for you. Uh, as I was reading this, I'm like, wow, this would be a really cool ninja commander. And then I realized, oh yeah, like commander color identity rules. You can't have Ooh. all the other cool ninjas from cool colors <laughs> put it, this is the put, commander. It, put it on your big o card. We have complained about color identity this episode. Yep. Check check that off. It probably won't be the last one. So Higure Commands a pretty pitiful, really pitiful 36 decks, but is still a real EDH ninja staple. He appears in over 9,000 decks. So certainly very popular among, you know, one of the most popular commander archetypes. And with good reason. I mean, like ninjutsu is such a cool ability. And especially at this time, it's one that really, I feel like pushed the boundaries of magic's rules. Like, this is an activated ability that is played from your hand. Another ability in this block, Splice, is the same way. It's activated from your hand, which I feel like is pretty unusual for this time. And just that kind of rule bending in general was not so much of a thing. And it it feels perfect that it's appearing on this this brand new, very kind of flashy creature type of ninja.
0: I I love that. And to me, it's, it's a novel a relatively novel approach to mechanics. And it's also the, this thing that's happening in magic design here and in Mirrodin where the mechanics, especially the keyword mechanics and the, the abilities of the card are becoming much more like intertwined and complementary. So uh, for an example, what I mean like this, ninjutsu feels like ninja action, right? Like you sneak in with one creature, it turns into a different creature that does something sneaky to your opponent. Like it feels like you got them via stealth in this way that's very ninja, right? And like similarly splice, you know, you're combining two spells that feels evocative. Um, Modular from Mirrodin, you know, robots reassembling into other kinds of robots. These are all very evocative. If you go back a couple more years, that's not always the case. You know, if we look at onslaught block, you have cycling, you have morph, and you have amplify. Uh, amplify for anyone who doesn't remember this amazing mechanic lets you reveal cr- matching creature types from your hand to boost the size of a creature. All of those are pretty hard to put like into the fiction of the game. Like, what is cycling? It's really hard to say, even though it's appeared in many, many years. Morph is so weird that they had to come up with like horrible morph spiders to contain the creatures. Amplify is like again, <laughs> yeah. what is it, right? Like, so there's this like real shift that happens. I think from onslaught to Mirrodin where the you know, if we go back before Onslaught, actually, I want to amplify my argument. If we go back before that and look at, say, Odyssey block again, like what is threshold? It's kind of hard to say what threshold is. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I, like, that is,
1: yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that's that's exactly the mechanic I was thinking of was like, what what is threshold supposed to be? Why is the number of cards seven in the graveyard like what does that have to do with anything that's happening in this card flavor wise right and you can think how like enough
0: dead things could have an effect except when you look at the cards that have threshold it's just random right it's totally driven by kind of spiky like play development considerations it has it has nothing to do with the kind of fiction of
1: the game for sure
0: and i think like it's telling it's telling what a one way you know ninjutsu was such a success is that when people think of original kamigawa they think of ninjutsu like that is one of the core elements of this block in people's minds but if you look how many cards it appeared on it's astonishing it appeared on what is it it appeared on i want to say like 10-ish cards it appeared on uh, eight cards a Small number wow and, and like the fact that it was successful uh with such a pathetic uh like chunk of the set design to me shows what an what incredible mechanic ninjutsu is yeah slam dunk so I want to rate this thing, and then I have the world's most useless trivia, like even by
1: our standards. But anything else to say about the card before you get to ratings and trivia? Now, I wanted to touch on the art just very briefly. Like Higure himself, the subject of the art is like pretty detailed, pretty high contrast, like very, very ninja looking guy. But then if you look at everything else that's happening in the art, it's very, very simplified in this almost like concept art type way there's almost no textures on anything other than Higure himself the windows behind him are like a pretty flat color this beam that he's jumping over is like just basically one color with no texture the um i guess guards that are running out in the background toward him are very very simplified uh so it's it's just kind of strange seeing This like really start it's it's very comic book like this stark contrast between a really detailed ninja in the middle and then this very, very simplified background that's still supposed to be recognizable. Yeah, comic book is exactly it. I do actually I hadn't really ever noticed
0: before today the um, the crowd of goons in the background trying to catch a guru that they're kind of comedic.
1: I I like them. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of Sly Cooper like (laughs) yes, it's completely Sly Cooper (laughs) going back to early 2000s. So what's uh, what's that trivia you got for
0: us? Oh, you want to get to the trivia before the ratings. All right. So here's some truly useless trivia. So you may have noticed when I read out the text box, or probably you didn't, that his triggered ability says whenever Higure deals combat damage to a player. So not whenever Higure the still wind, but just this little familiar short name, just Higure. We, we know him on a first name basis. Um, and my useless trivia is that this was another minor innovation <laughs> of Kami Gobble Block, sort of. So in Legends, when Legends are first introduced to the game, there's a good number of creatures that shorten their name in this way. So Gabriel Angelfire, for example, refers to himself as just Gabriel in his text box. Um, similarly, Axelrod, again, is abbreviated to just Axelrod. Then that doesn't happen again for years and years, except, weirdly, in Portal Three Kingdoms, um, where almost, I think, all of the Legends abbreviate their names to just their first name or their kind of given name in the, uh, in the text box. Then we have another long break, And then in Onslaught of Mirrodin, we start to see creatures refer to themselves this way, but only on the second instance. So for example, um, Phage the Untouchable, first instance in her text box, full name, second instance, just Phage. But this, Higure the Stillwind, I believe is the first legendary creature in the modern frame to refer to itself only by a short name. And I think that is the most obscure trivia we've ever gotten out of this show. (laughs) That is news you can use right there. I'll link a scryfall search for anyone who wants to dig through the history of this. Please do. Connor. do you have a rating for
1: this (laughs) card? I sure do. I'm I'm still thinking about uh, all these names. Um, Yeah, Higure Higure is an easy auto-include for me. I feel like this is one of the most iconic ninjas. I mean, all the ninjas are kind of iconic, but uh, (laughs) this guy's legendary. He's awesome. He's an auto-include. Absolutely. Auto-include 1x.
0: My only fear is just that the ninja deck will not appear enough to work, but I I think we
1: just need to warp the cube until it does. (laughs) There's no other solution. (laughs) We just need to keep adding ninjas. All right. Auto-include 1x. Okay, next up, uh, we have Jetting Glass Kite for UU uh, for 4-4 Spirit with Flying. Whenever Jetting Glass Kite becomes the target of a spell or ability for the first time each turn, counter that spell or ability. The flavor text, also important here, um, says, The bolt struck with a flash, and there was a terrible sound as of glass shattering, but the creature was unharmed. So just first off, another great example of flavor text that very carefully kind of connects the name, art, and mechanics of the card. Uh, The art here, well, we'll get into it a little more later, but uh, the spirit shown here is surrounded by uh this kind of blue bubble uh this kind of glassy bubble i guess it's protecting it from spells or abilities that it's targeted by for the first time in a turn <laughs> as a card i think this is like pretty solid as uh a one of this this ability i th- i think actually matters a lot of the time and a, a six mana four four flyer seems perfectly fine in this setting
0: yeah i have a uh, i have Pretty good feelings about this card as well. Again, I don't think this card is amazing, but I think, yeah, it's totally solid. Like six mana, four, four flyer, I think would already be sort of on the bubble. Like you think about the dragons, um, which we're very high on. Those are six mana, five, five flyers. Essentially, you take a minus one, minus one here and you get this pretty much shroud ability. And I think in Kamigawa context, that's quite powerful. Like just being able to get in and beat down with the big four, four flyer is... You know, if you don't land one of the more OP finishers, like Maloku or
1: one of the dragons, this will do just fine as, as kind of a finishing threat. Yeah, it's, you know, it's it's bringing in a lot of damage. It's got evasion. It's got some protection. Like, that's a lot more than you're going to get on a lot of spirits in this set. I, I like the uniqueness of this ability rather than just being shroud or, you know, some form of untargetability, un targetable ability (laughs) uh it's it's this this very unusual counter the first thing that is targeting this uh each turn and as far as i could tell this counter first spell or ability trigger only appears on four creatures uh all of them are blue three of those four are in betrayers and we'll get to the next one very soon uh and the fourth one of those is a blue sphinx from amonkhet oh i remember that i love that sphinx uh, you know, just a it's a, a cool kind of minor mechanic. Uh, all the cards that it appears on in Betrayers sort of share this uh, common theme of a spirit surrounded by, I guess, this glass bubble. Um, so just, you know, like a fun little minor flavor cycle, I guess. I
0: feel like Wizard spent, was on like a 15-year journey where they're trying to figure out the right way to do basically, well, no, I guess 20-year journey. Like, right, magic starts with protection. Protection is a really polarized kind of problematic ability in a whole bunch of ways. This feels like a kind of stab at that um, a little bit. Then we go on to Shroud, which had problems of its own. Hexproof, which in many ways is even worse. And then finally, I feel like with Ward, honestly, I think WotC kind of cracked it with Ward. Uh, Like, I don't love everything about Modern Magic, but I think that's the perfect kind of balanceable way to like prevent, like interfere with your opponent's ability to interact with your permanence without ever totally cutting off player agency. Because as much as I've been kind of high on this card, there is kind of a feel bad here, right? Like if the only removal your opponent's got is Rend Spirit, this fact that this can't, oh, falls off after the first targeting, doesn't really matter, right? Like if there's no other way to target it, this might as well just have a Shroud, which which is painful. I don't think that matters too much for the Glass Glassguite, but when we get to Kira, I think we'll have a little more conversation about that. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. We only, you touched on it, but I really, really like the art here. To me, I get kind of a Final Fantasy or even a bit of a Breath of the Wild vibe here, Um, both from the design of the creature, which is sort of uh, like a little bit hot. It's like a beast with sort of high fantasy armor and wings and stuff attached to it. But also from the kind of intricate line work and um, subtle coloring, like I really get a kind of Final Fantasy concept art, Breath of the Wild, kind of Japanese high fantasy vibe. I, I really dig this art.
1: Yeah, the, the Final Fantasy comparison, I think, is just totally spot on. Like, there's there's this strong overall weirdness to this Kami, but it's built out of these really distinctive parts. Like, you can see these eyes here, uh, these sort of weird jetting claws that almost look like a clawfoot table. This bone-like plating, like, there's this really cool overall effect that's made up of these sort of strange, disparate pieces, but they all come together in a really distinctive and Final Fantasy-ish kind of way.
0: Yeah, I think it's an example of, um, I love the abstraction and weirdness of Kamigawa spirit art. I think this is about the right level for me. Like looking back at Chisei, I think that one goes a little too far in terms of abstract weirdness. Whereas this one is still quite weird. It's certainly like no identifiable creature, but it's also not so weird that I'm like, what's even happening in this art? (laughs) Is that even a creature?
1: Yeah. It's it's really similar to another Shishizaru piece that we talked about in one of our Green Champions episodes, Kodama of the North Tree. Yeah, yes. Um, like that also has these kind of Final Fantasy vibes of like this this big, like very monstrous creature, but that still has these these recognizable parts and that come together in a in a cohesive way rather than just being kind of a pile of ideas the way that chisei is
0: (laughs) yeah it kind of makes me wish that they'd uh push the whole set a little more towards this kind of japanese high fantasy look i think that could have been a really interesting unique aesthetic that might not have been as much of a turnoff
1: as i think some of the kamigawa weirdness was for some players Hmm. yeah
0: yeah just just super cool card
1: so how how would you rate the glass kite i've got it as a a playable 1x i feel like probably don't need more than one but it's certainly very playable yeah i think you nailed it playable 1x all right let's talk about
0: kaijin of the vanishing touch 1u for a 0-3 spirit with defender whatever kaijin of the vanishing touch blocks a creature return that creature to its owner's hand at end of combat and then the flavor text here when it's finished all that's left of you is a ripple on a still pond Uh, So this card is kind of Wall of Tears at home. I don't know if that reference works for most people, but Wall of Tears is to me at least an iconic early wall that's exactly this card, but it's a 0-4 instead of a 0-3. I think in the context of our cube, this card is somewhere between serviceable and pretty decent. Like if we contrast it with our Floodbringer from earlier, I think this fits in a little better to like what Blue is trying to do in that it holds down the ground it slows down the game i think it does the things that the spirit deck needs spirit arcane deck needs from its blue two drop it comes at a tempo cost to your opponent it stops your opponent from executing their game plan for at least a little bit uh losing that point of toughness i think is huge i think it was probably necessary for balance reasons but you know as an o3 this dies to things like oh i don't know kitsune blade master our greatest fear in kamigawa limited <laughs> or
1: nemesis <laughs> that's
0: right uh so i i think this card is solid but probably not exceptional and where and i'll also note where it is not good is the other blue deck the ninja deck hates this thing right so it's really i think pretty good in the spirit deck but useless to our ninja deck yeah i
1: i think that's that's pretty accurate there was a uh a Star City Games article from 2005 described this as, uh, quote, a cheap two drop with an overly defensive posture. And I feel like that that pretty much says it all. Like, this could be a, a good kind of annoying creature to give blue in the cube for a certain deck, the spirit deck that has, you know, some arcane spells that's maybe running those Callow Jushis uh, that, you know, is kind of trying to turtle and... Maybe play some Kendall's Glows or something if it's in white.
0: <laughs> we, we always describe this deck, but I must admit it's not with much confidence. It never has come together, at least so far. It, in our it hasn't
1: come together yet. Give it some t- Maybe it needed just the, the Kaijin more, to, more to get Kai-Gene. there. You know, as we're saying the name over and over, uh, I'm realizing that we talked about another Kaijin in Champions, our Champions set review of Blue, River kaijin, which was a 2 u 1, 4 spirit. Hold the phone. We um, got to go find out what a kaijin is. So we probably should have done this before we were live, but a kaijin must be, I would guess, a
0: river spirit. Uh, you nailed it. A kaijin is a sea god, according to Wiktionary. Oh, there we go. And I'm going to put the, I'll put the kanji for that into the show notes so that we look like serious homework
1: doers. I, lo- I love that. So this is, this is two of, two of the two kaijin in this block and in the game of magic for that matter Hmm. Uh,
0: one other thing i'll talk about here is the art the art here is uh is pretty wacky i would say so basically when you first glance at it for me what i see first is we've got a sexy at least in terms of her figure uh blue water lady um sort of beckoning at the viewer uh really the only hint here that this is kamigawa is that there's some mysterious discs or something floating around her as is a requirement for blue spirits and Kamigawa. Her sexiness is somewhat impeded by the fact that she's got a gigantic, freaky, like Entman face on her back and a bunch of whipping tentacles. So I, I feel like for me, at least if I were viewing her, that would like completely outweigh the kind of come hither gesture that she's got going on. But I
1: don't know, maybe magic creatures are a little, a little dumber than I think. Well, I mean, I don't want to get into this too much here, but I, I think the tentacles wouldn't necessarily be an issue for for everyone looking at you this, you know
0: it's funny you say that because I, I when I saw this, I thought I hope this didn't become somebody's special thing.
1: You know, I might have warped some, yeah, minds, I think, some vulnerable. I think minds. it's it's ticking a few boxes for someone somewhere. <laughs> but it's it's interesting to me that the uh, the sexy water lady here is the first thing you notice because what I have always noticed first about this card is what you described as the Entman face in the back. And I think when I was viewing this as a child, that's all I saw was like this this weird little face he kind of has like this like silly toothy grin almost surrounded by tentacles and then i guess i thought it was just like some water shapes going on on the other side of the tentacles <laughs> look at that childlike so it's innocence like, yeah it's 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 like that uh that you know picture of two faces facing each other or maybe it's a vase and you know maybe like which one you see first says something about your brain or something to deep into it, but i never noticed the face until today. So we some psychology on display hmm. uh, today.
0: Hmm. Let's move on and talk about our rating. So I have this at a, I wonder if it's too high. I have this at a playable two X just cause I like that. It has a unique kind of stall effect that I don't think we have on any other blue two drops, but uh, I don't know. I
1: wedded to that. I also wondered if that rating was too high because that's exactly the rating that I gave it but I feel like that means we just got to stick with it. <laughs> We've landed in exactly the same place.
0: Yeah, I, it it is one of those where I don't think it would ever be like too good in the way Umizawa's Jite or something would be, but I do wonder if it would be too annoying. I think that's something to keep keep
1: an eye on. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think this could be a, a super annoying card, but at the same time, I kind of feel like the deck that wants this might need something like this to work at all. Mm-hmm. All right, playable 2x okay next up we have kira great glass spinner one uu for a 2-2 legendary spirit with flying and creatures you control have whenever this creature becomes a target of a spell or ability for the first time each turn counter that spell or ability and kira's flavor text says each spell is an intricate tapestry and kira is the great unraveler so exactly the same cool glass bubble deal we had with uh, jetting glass kite but kira gives it to all creatures you control including uh, itself i really like this sort of glass spinning ability as we already discussed it definitely feels more impactful here than even on the jetting glass kite Uh, a three mana two two flyer seems fine in kamigawa and the fact that your whole board is benefiting from this ability is kind of nuts
0: yeah, I kind of worry it's too nuts. Like, I want to talk about this card's place in competitive magic in a second, but in R-Cube, there's not a lot of removal to go around in Kamigawa. Uh, and I just worry that this card essentially says, like, blanks your opponent's removal, right? Because they need to point basically two removal spells at it to kill it. And in a lot of cases, that's all a deck has. So I, I do worry that this card... It's not like the raid here is ungodly, but actually a three-mana 2-2 flyer in Kamigawa would already be, like... That's a very respectable card. That's a card I would yeah, play. Yeah, I mean that's that's fine, right? So like, I I, I am a little I have this in an auto include one X, but I am a little nervous about its effect on gameplay.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I think that's fair. If if Kira lines up with the right other creatures, then I mean the game's just kind of over in this cube. Yeah,
0: <laughs> pretty much. Hmm. Hmm. While you ponder that, let me talk a little bit about the kind of competitive history of this card, because this card has, I'm not the best person to speak to this, but a pretty storied competitive history. It was a competitive staple for many years, I think particularly in early modern. Um, Today, it still puts up occasional top eights in modern and historic and spirit and merfolk decks. There were a couple just in the last year on MTG top eight. The rate here, I think, is just a bit below modern standards. Like maybe if this was a 3-2, there'd be more of a conversation. But I think the fact that it like still sees any non-rotating play at all, for a Kamigawa card that isn't banned, I think that says a lot for its power. Like, that that's just a creature, right? Like, a lot of the other Kamigawa cards that have made a long-term name for themselves are like Umizawa's Jite, um, Sensei's Divining Top, like deeply broken non-creature cards. This is, at the end of the day, it's a fair creature, right? It's not doing anything inherently degenerate it's just like really really good at protecting your team so i think the fact this has seen play for like 15 years across competitive magic is is pretty cool and in fact on release it saw play even in vintage and fish decks i don't know how long that stuck around similarly Hmm. this has been a cube staple for the longest time unfortunately cube cobra's stats are broken right now uh so i can't tell you how much it's played today but Historically, this has always shown up kind of near the top of the list of blue three drops. Um, You can find posts even from like five or six years ago on Reddit where people talk about this showing up in like five or 6,000 decks on Cube Tutor. Like this is just one of the iconic blue three drops in Cube. Uh, And similarly in Commander, while this doesn't really command any decks, it does appear in about 11,000 decks. Like there's really nothing like this for protecting your team, except from board wipes, of course.
1: The more more you've talked about it being uh, like an actually competitive card, the more I feel like it may... May not the more obscure on your cube. <laughs> yeah, I think I don't I mean yeah, I, I feel like blue doesn't need this kind of big power spike when it already has, you know, some pretty solid flyers and some pretty decent ways of protecting itself. This is one of the ironies
0: of the show, right? Is that the cards that are most iconic from Kamigawa are some of the harder ones to put in the cube because the power band in Kamigawa is just so enormous right like we look at Kira and we contrast it with Kaijin of the vanishing touch that we just talked about or heed the mists or some of the cards we have coming up right after this
1: I it's
0: tough it's tough to fit them all in one environment
1: yeah that uh, that is the truth while we continue to ponder this what do you think about this kev Walker art here
0: you know I've never really paid much attention to it so why don't you describe it while I form an opinion
1: that's kind of hard to do because Kira is sort of shapeless um there you have the the traditional glass bubble that you get with this uh triggered ability that appears on three cards but akira itself in there is just kind of this mass of, of grayness like it kind of gives off emrakul vibes almost and just the overall shape of it's like a baby emrakul creature in there it's like a baby emercool in a little bubble which i guess is kind of uh sweet You're but
0: surrounded by head crabs
1: i don't
0: oh, i don't like those
1: let me well, but you know look. what's
0: cool connor as i zoom in like the two bubbles behind him i am almost certain that the bubble to the right is a sliver i think the bubble to the that left really is like,
1: looks like a sliver
0: well yeah i think the bubble to the left is some kind of spider i think this is a little cutesy kev walker like ha- like nod at what this card does right he's brought this non what i think is a non kamigawa creature into uh into this art it's like yeah this will protect all your slivers so i think that's that's kind of cute Okay. Okay, I like that. And it's almost a sliver-like effect when you think about it, right? Like it gives your whole team the same ability. It's,
1: it's very much a sliver effect. I
0: wonder if that's like a little mechanical Easter egg. I hope so. That would be cool.
1: Wow, we're we're finding some some deep secrets in the art of Blue Betrayers cards. I'm gonna I'm gonna go Google this real quick while you speak to your rating. I'm gonna make you rate first. You read. You okay. rate. Okay. Well, so I mean, I have I I had Kira playable, which is definitely true. <laughs> But I, I sort of feel like we, I mean, maybe we can we can try it and see if it's too oppressive, but I, I feel like we kind of already know the answer and maybe we just cut it now. I'm struggling with this one.
0: I have it as a as an auto-include which uh, on power, which might be too high, but I think we should try it. I think there's, I'll say, for example, I'm less worried about this card than Maloku, because at the end of the day, it is just a 2-2 flyer. It's still kind of, I guess it still depends on you having creatures that are that your opponent must deal with, right? Like if the rest of your deck is Kaijin of the Vanishing Touches and like Floodbringers, this card doesn't really do anything. So it doesn't have to me the like obscene degeneracy of Maloku where it's like if this card isn't answered within uh 5 seconds, you've lost the game. So I, I like I, I kind of feel like I'm okay trying it out.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. Also, I'm noticing now that there was a, a secret layer drop version of Kira uh just last year that's kind of cute and very bubbly uh so okay yeah i i, I guess we need to go with playable then because if it's auto include then we kind of have to include it
0: yeah playable playable 1x seems right all right all right let's go on to the nearly as iconic minamo sightpender minamo sight 1u for 1-2 human wizard x tap target creature with power x or less can't be blocked this turn And the flavor text, woven from threads of the spirit world, the mist cloak rendered its wearer invisible, but quickly fell to tatters. Uh, This card is very hard to have any strong emotion about. Uh, It's about as meh a card as can exist. Uh, Actually, the most recent, this only has like five gatherer comments in its history. Uh, The most recent one from RJ Droid says simply, in my opinion, this is a magic card which i think about sums it up. <laughs> that really does. I actually feel like this episode we're kind of suffering from a surplus of like pretty much fine blue two drop creatures uh, and this is like yet another like okay blue two drop creature. It does help out the ninja deck which i think is nice like that's something that i think we really need. So i have it in a mea 1x just to give the ninja deck a little bit of an extra boost. Um but i can't say i have feel that with any great enthusiasm like this card is is very medium.
1: Yeah, I this 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 struck me as a, a nice possible ninja enabler that when you look into it is essentially non-existent in EDH ninja decks. So just uh, for a little number comparison here, the most popular ninja commander and third most popular commander overall right now uh, commands over 13,000 decks. Minamo Sightbender appears in just over 200 of those.
0: <laughs> Deservedly so. And that
1: commander is Eureko the Tiger's Shadow, just to fill in the blank there. Uh... Yeah, he doesn't deserve
0: much more than that. Yeah, one of the uh, one of the odd things about this card to me is like this is obviously meant to set up the ninja deck. There is nothing in the name or the art or even the flavor text here that like cues you into that. And I think in Modern Magic, something they've gotten pretty good about is including these kind of subtle visual and flavor cues that help you understand the mechanical effect of the card. Like I think this should really be like, I don't know, um, Underworld's magic cloak dealer or like ninja armorer. I don't, these are terrible names. No, you know,
1: underworld like... magic cloak dealer. <laughs> Shut
0: up. That. Shut up. It's a great name. <laughs> but,
1: ninja cloth merchant.
0: But like to me, Minamo like instantly takes my mind away from ninjas to like arcane or like spell effects. Like, I don't know. This card to me is a bit of a miss from a flavor perspective. Unlike underworld. Yeah. What
1: was it? Underworld magic cloak dealer. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's, that's much more of a hit and memorable. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's a that's a very good point. Like, I mean, it's since we've been talking about ninjas, we have ninjas on the brain. I feel like it. You know, it's easy for that to jump to our minds now. Is you know, oh, that's that's what this card is for. But if you just pulled this from a pack back in two thousand five, yeah, there's nothing here to suggest that. Oh, I should be using this with ninjas.
0: The very marginal amount of play this sees in EDH, a lot of it is in uh, Cherix, the Raging Isle deck. So not ninja decks, but Cherix, that big 0-17 crab. Okay, with that's pretty awesome. It's basically Ward. Uh, and so I love that this uh, does have some slight role in helping that gigantic 17 crab connect with your opponent. Great. So I have this at a meh 1x. Um,
1: even that feels a little generous. What about you, Connor? I mean, I had it as a meh 2x because I want ninjas to do more ninja but that also just sort of feels wrong to have two of these
0: yeah i i feel like maybe
1: yeah i guess maybe we just say meh 1x for now and um see if we need more later
0: yeah uh i i would be Someone's surprised if we were like, oh man, you know what we really need? Like, I'm looking at our blue two drops. Like, if I go look at the cube, right? We have three Flo- Floating Dream Zuberas from Champions. We have three Guardians of Solitude from Champions. We got a Juicy Apprentice. We got a few making it in today and presumably next episode. Like, there's actually a surprisingly, this is a surprisingly competitive slot. And I, I don't know. I feel like one of these crappy blue two drops we talked about today is going to have to be cold eventually, but this can make it for now, I guess
1: okay yeah that's that's a fair way to look at it meh one x meh one x okay let's move on to another minamo card this is minamo's meddling two uu for an instant counter target spell that spell's controller reveals their hand then discards each card with the same name as a card spliced onto that spell I'll read the flavor text and then come back to what this actually does. Flavor text says, "Like storm water through the segments of bamboo, the spell followed the links of magic, then it destroyed them, which is kind of cool. It is kind of cool. It's a nice, neat tie-in with the uh, the effect. It is. It's, it's it's evocative. A little like mechanics of the magic itself that is a fun it's little. The best thing.
0: thing about this card, actually,
1: it is the best <laughs> thing about this card. It is. I I had to read this." probably half a dozen times to like actually internalize what this is saying and doing. So obviously it, it counters a spell. Uh, and then you get to look at your opponent's hand and then your opponent has to discard each card that shares a name with any other card that has been spliced onto the spell that you're countering. So let's say your opponent has spliced a glacial ray onto the Wren spirit that they just played. Uh, you're countering the Wren spirit And you also force them to discard the glacial ray that they spliced onto it and any other glacial rays that they have in their hand. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So that's the thing. Yeah, this, uh,
0: I don't really understand why this doesn't cost three. Like in general, Wizards was very conservative with counterspells through this period of magic. They were even more conservative in Kamigawa. But like three mana for a counterspell with minor upside, like, is. At this point, well-established as just okay. Three mana to mess with the block mechanic would have been totally fair and reasonable. I just, I really don't understand why this is four. It's it's totally unplayable at four in my view.
1: Yeah, uh, I thought it was funny. Someone on Gatherer said, in block, brutal. Out of block, less so. <laughs> I feel like brutal is an extremely strong word to use for this card in any kind of block or format or setting. A-
0: any four mana counterspell for the most part. Like, come on.
1: The art here is also... Yeah. I think,
0: pretty bad. It's just like a... It's like a purple guy. I don't know what this guy's deal is. There are no purple guys in Kamigawa. Yeah, who's... What is, who is this guy? I, yeah, I know. It's like a purple guy doing something with like a vortex of purple magic. Like, there's nothing in here that's really that Kamigawa-ish.
1: It's just like... It's just generic counterspell art. Yeah, this, this really could be in anything if it <laughs>
0: didn't deal with splicing it seems really possible we could end this cube without a single counterspell in blue like they're all just not I, they're just not good enough for uh for any kind of curated environment i think yeah i mean i like i
1: honestly i feel like blue has enough other decent things it wants to be doing in kamigawa that like countering just like none of the counters are able to compete with like the other pretty reasonable things especially flyers you could be putting your mana into i'm assuming this is an insta cut for you connor this is a definite insta cut for me
0: all right let's talk about Mistblade shinobi to you for a one one human ninja ninjutsu for you whenever Mistblade shinobi deals combat damage to a player you may return target creature that player controls to its owner's hand all right another cool ninja um, I love this guy. Uh, he's one of the worst ninjas stat-wise. Like uh, one one for three is uh, it's a it's not an amazing set of numbers, but he affects the board in a really meaningful way. Like this is this is uh, uh, no what's it called um, mana war. This is mana war uh, with slightly worse stats, but they can come into play for one mana. And on the times that you do put this thing into play for one mana, it's amazing. And if it connects more than once, it's super amazing. Um, like this is the reason to include bad cards like the sight bender we talked about a couple of cards ago uh, i really really like this guy he's uh one of the most iconic ninjas to me second only to in my mind to the next one we're going to talk about
1: yeah i mean like i i think this is pretty decent in the sort of limited setting that we're we're dealing with here with the cube I think just from you know reading the few articles that you can find that mentioned misblade shinobi from back in the day like This seems like it would have been a perfectly reasonable card to throw into a sealed deck. Outside of that, I think the value is pretty limited as a 3-mana 1-1. Don't know in a constructed environment if it ever would have really made it. That said, it is surprisingly popular in EDH ninja decks. Uh, It appears in 14,000 decks, which is 1% of all decks on the site. I'm guessing just because it's a ninja, and it does have like a pretty meaningful... Effect when it's able to connect and can do that uh, pretty cheaply, I guess. Like I, I feel like the one thing that gives me pause about this, other than it being a, a three-man one-one, and the you know major feel bad if you have to play this other than with ninjutsu, is that you know bouncing creatures is of course something you'd almost always prefer to be doing before they have a chance to block. So you do need to get something in there before the shinobi can connect and bounce something so you're not really like getting kind of the combat trickiness out of this
0: hmm i still think it's quite good as a tempo play uh, particularly if you manage to do this early right like if you do this on oh i don't know let's say uh it's your uh it's like your turn three your opponent you're on the draw so your opponent's just played a three drop if you manage to i don't know misplay shinobi for one bounce their three drop play play the two mana thing that you picked up with the shinobi that's that's a It's not quite a blowout, but it's pretty close, right? Like the the highs of this card are very, very high. Uh, Like I feel like it can just set you, get you ahead by a pretty significant amount, even if it only connects once.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a A good point. That's all assuming you don't, you play it for its
0: ninjutsu cost. I think the times when you don't, you're pretty sad about this card as a three mana one one. Yeah,
1: yeah. There's very high highs and very low lows with misplayed shinobi.
0: Yeah, but I think the more, you know, as I play more and more cube, that's something, that's a quality I actually like more than I used to. Like, I think I used to kind of think about how do you massage out um, those big spikes and in, in power level and spikes in, in play. But I think those are the moments that create stories, right? Like the blowout moments are the, the things you walk away from the table remembering
1: right or or even just you know not really being able to do anything with the shinobi except play it as a three mana one one kind of memorable in its own <laughs> yep how how do you land on the shinobi i'm I'm getting very positive energy from you about him but uh how many copies should we have what kind of rating should we i have give a playable two acts I, I definitely don't think this reaches
0: all the way to auto include i think the power is a little too unreliable for that but I mean, to be honest, if we want the ninjas to show up, they basically all have to make it into the cube. And like this one, this is one I'm pretty happy yeah. to have around at, at at least the 2X. Maybe even more if we really want to go nuts later.
1: Okay. Yeah. I I also had playable 2X. I feel like we're pretty closely aligned on these blue cards. Uh, maybe because they all feel like they're sort of right in the pocket power-wise of what we'd want to see in Kamigawa.
0: Honor is there an argument for calling this the best or second best one drop in the set <laughs> or in the block? Oh,
1: that's interesting. It, it may just be the the best. I feel like a, a running theme has been that there are no good one-drops in the I think block. it's this so, and Isamaru
0: are like the two good one-drops in the
1: block. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Mm. Food for thought. Okay, we've got another ninja coming up here, uh, and it is a good one. This is Ninja of the Deep Hours. 3U for a 2-2 human ninja with ninjutsu... One U. Whenever Ninja of the Deep Hours deals combat damage to a player, you may draw a card. I mean, like everyone loves this card, right? It's been reprinted several times. It's in over fifteen thousand decks on EDH. It's a sneaky grizzly bear that draws you a card. Like it's maybe maybe this is less true after (laughs) today's episode, but it's felt very rare to see a card like this in Kamigawa that's just plain good with like no real drawback i mean a four mana two two is not great but like even that in this set is like it could honestly be worse um yeah just like a really awesome card and iconic ninja
0: yeah i love that you opened with everyone loves this card because that's also what my notes open with like does anyone not like this card this card i think it's just beloved by everyone um it, what i love about this card is it's so finely balanced like it's not op even in it's an original environment like when he connects it's fair right your opponent let their guard down a little bit they should have left a blocker up or they let you get ahead on tempo or whatever it's good when he connects once if you manage to get in twice which of course takes a lot more work for you it's really good everybody loves drawing cards like i this appeals to spike who's thinking about how to optimize it but i feel like it also appeals just as much to like Andy Timmy, who's like, cool ninja, cool ninja, steal stuff, draw cards. Like, it's just, it's a really cool, fun card. I, 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 to me, this is one of, in a way, this might be the most iconic card we've talked about today. Like, it's not the most powerful, probably. I'd give that honor to maybe Kira. Um, but for me, like, when I think about, when I think of a blue ninja, this is the card I think of. This is, I think, one of the most iconic cards from the whole block.
1: I, I think you're totally right. Like, I, I feel like this Ninja of the Deep Powers is like the, definitive ninja <laughs> almost like it's yeah. a, a, everything about it, it checks out the I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the the stealing things because the art and the fact that you're drawing a card ties together really nicely you know the this ninja is uh has very clearly just murdered someone and is stealing uh, a big scroll from uh some sort of temple or castle um he's you know stealing this knowledge that's drawing you a card he's gotten past uh the guards at this castle, and it's, it's slipped in to accomplish this theft. Like everything about it, just just lines up and makes it feel like just like this. This is exactly what a ninja should be.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. This is one of those weird cards that's hard to talk about because it's so perfect, right? It's like it's just a it's a perfectly designed card. There's no rough edges to sand off here or question marks. It's just it's a fun card. It shows up a lot in cube. It shows up yeah. in EDH beloved by casual players. I don't think it's ever had a, much of a competitive history, but that's fine. I, I don't begrudge him that.
1: Yeah, I, I can't add too much more because I, I think the ninja is just, just perfect. is an auto-include yeah, for me. Yeah, I was uh, auto-include 2X. That, that seems very reasonable. Let's ship it. All
0: right, let's close out on a card that I think it's fair to say is a little bit tougher to evaluate, at least for me. I was, I was sort of baffled by this card. Let's talk about Patron of the Moon, um, a member of the patron cycle. Patron of the Moon is 5UU for a 5-4 Legendary Creature Spirit. It's got Moonfolk Offering, um, which means you may cast this card anytime you could cast an instant by sacrificing a Moonfolk and paying the difference in mana cost between this and the sacrificed Moonfolk. Mana cost includes color. It's got Flying and it has one. Put up to two land cards from your hand onto the battlefield tapped. So 7-mana, 5-4 Flyer with a reverse Moonfolk ability, and then the ability to basically devour a moonfolk, or not devour, emerge a moonfolk. This card is so funky. Honestly, it really (laughs) challenged my ratings. Maybe it's because it's the end of the episode and my brain was fatigued. I I don't know. But this card has so many odd bells and whistles that don't show up anywhere else, right? It's got offering, which is a weird mechanic that only shows up on five cards in the set. It offers Moonfolk, who are a tribe who only exist in the set and who I don't even think of as a tribe. They're just like some cards. Like they're not really a a synergy-based tribe like goblins or elves. They're just creatures that share a creature type. He's one of only two blue cards, I believe, in all of Magic that ramp. This and Dreamscape Artist from Planar Chaos, I think are the only mono blue cards that ramp. I'll put a scryfall search in the game for, or in the notes wow. for anyone who doesn't believe me. Like, I don't know, Connor, help me out here.
1: Like, what do I make of this card? <laughs> so so we've already looked at one patron. This is, you know, of course, part card number two in a in a five color cycle. The first one was patron of the kitsune in white. Um, and I feel much happier about patron of the moon than I did about patron of the kitsune. I think there's a few reasons for that. Patron of the moon has flying. I like that Yet it's... It's interesting that, you know, you mentioned Moonfolk is obviously not a tribe that has much of a presence in the game or very much synergy among Moonfolk cards. But funnily enough, Patron of the Moon is kind of the only one of the five patrons in the set that has an ability that's sort of connected to mm-hmm. <laughs> what its tribe does The you know putting putting land cards from your hand back into play is helping to balance out all of your moonfolk abilities that require you to balance your own land so patron of the moon is helping to enable those things which none of the other patrons really do like for example patron of the kitsune just uh like gains you some life which is just kind of a thing white does doesn't really have anything to do with the kitsune so i like i like all of those things about it i actually also like the art this like patron of the kitsune has just a gigantic mouth and actually all of the patrons have just huge moths like go go look at these cards and see how big all of their mouths are i don't know what was going on with the art direction well it definitely gets across that the they uh eating things it sure does like you can fit a lot of offerings in there so I kind of like it, this big mouth, it it sort of has these rabbit-like features, which is like kind of something the moon folk have, these mm-hmm. rabbit-like ears. So there's a little bit more of a tie in between this patron and the tribe it's a patron of than we saw with patron of the kitsune. I don't know how much I would like this card if it didn't kind of have that thematic advantage over the other cards in this
0: cycle why why is he circling a presumably illusionary but why is it circling around
1: a western european castle that's a that's a weird weird element of this art i'm i'm completely baffled by that like that i wrote that in my notes here what is with that floating fairy tale castle like there's there's nothing kamegaba about this castle that the huge patron is encircling mm.
0: Yeah, I, this is a weird card. I, I think I like it. I had it as an insta-cut originally, but I think I've recovered from my shock enough to say, it's so weird, I kind of want to include it. Like, it's certainly like no other card in Magic. It's got the, fro- the phrase Moonfolk offering on it, which is obviously unique. It's a mono blue card that lets you ramp lands out of your hand. In EDH, this doesn't see a lot of play it appears in three thousand decks which is not very many and it commands 500 but those 500 are funky and in my view worth looking up like there's obviously moon folk in there but they also are like gush and high tide and landfall decks with like hedron crab like props to all the people who are trying to make like a mono glue mm. um ramp land synergy strategy work that is a a weird and cool archetype that people are that probably doesn't really exist but i appreciate people who are trying that is pretty great
1: yeah it's it's hard to kind of evaluate the power level of this card like it i it kind of competes with Kega the the blue dragon spirit as like a big blue flyer um but is just kind of worse in almost every <laughs> way than Kega but at the same time like it it enables moonfolk which i i feel like we've we've been pretty like we've we've wanted the moonfolk to work throughout our blue card ratings and i I don't know that patron of the moon necessarily is like the missing piece that they all need but like it's it sort of slaps you in the face of like here this is how you make those abilities a little less punishing if you ever get to the point in the game that you're able to play the patron which you know you might be able to do with right the yeah you can skip up the mana so you can uh curve so you can like i don't know play a
0: patron on or play a moon folk on three jam this on four by sacking the moon folk, then start going to town with the other moon folk you hopefully picked up. Like, I don't think it's amazing, but it, it might have a place, but I mean, like a five, four, five, four flyer on four feels yeah, I good. like it more than, you know, say uh, the myogen or some of the other really expensive blue cards.
1: I'm coming around. So I have, I have a proposal for you on the rating. We haven't had any build arounds in this mm. episode. And I feel like patron in the moon is kind of a, a build around. Like I don't, know that we would want this or need it if we didn't really have any moon folk that this is making a little bit better but you know it's kind of kind of the centerpiece of that strange tribe you know what i'll buy that yeah sure but build around one x works for me all right
0: All right, and that is it for Betrayers of Kamigawa Blue, part one. Thank you so much for sticking with us all the way into the deep hours of today's episode.
1: Oh.
0: (laughs) And we encourage you to sponsor us on our Patreon of the moon. Uh, Just kidding. it's Another bad joke. There's no no, uh, Patreon uh, nags here. We do encourage you, though, to follow the show on YouTube or subscribe on your favorite podcast app if you enjoyed it, and also to share it with a magic-playing friend or post it in a Discord chat. It really means a lot to us to see people listening to the show and especially to kind of hear your feedback, your thoughts, your memories of these cards. So if you do have thoughts or memories on it, about any of the cards we talked about today or any other cards coming up in Betrayers of Kamigawa, comment on YouTube or Reddit, shoot us an email, clockspinningpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear it. Next time, we'll be talking about the other blue cards of Betrayers of Kamigados, so join us for part two. But until then, I'm Austin.
1: And I'm Connor. Thanks for listening.